Hello world, I'm Jared Cunningham. This is the Freelance Forum Autumn 2022 podcast series. Over the years, the Freelance Forum has been made possible by support from the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland and the National Union of Journalists Dublin Freelance Branch. The following episode is a recording made at the Autumn 2022 Freelance Forum live event held on Saturday the 1st of October at the Technological University of Dublin Grinch Garman campus. In this session, freelance journalist Stephanie Costello spoke with the Ditch editor Owen McNeil and the Irish Secretary of the NUJ, Seamus Dooley, about the future of journalism and freelancing. Stephanie uh, is our second PhD candidate here today after uh, Connell this morning and she's going to be chairing this session. Cool, yeah, so thanks very much, sir. Uh, Good afternoon, everyone. Um, You're very welcome to the second of today's panel. of the Freelance Forum, which is uh, the present and future of freelancing. So my name is Stephanie Costello. I am a journalist and I'm also a PhD candidate uh, here in TU Dublin School of Media. Um, I'm going to be chairing this session um, where we're going to be hearing from Owen McNeil of The Ditch and Seamus Dooley of the NUJ. They're going to give us their thoughts on an ever-evolving media landscape. Uh, for freelancers and just generally I, I, I think more broadly just I suppose we're going to look at a few more issues seeing as there's only two of us or three of us we might broaden that out a bit talk about independent media maybe and just yeah touch on some issues more broadly uh, so I am to kick us off I suppose I'm delighted to introduce uh, Owen McNeil Owen McNeil is the co-founder and editor of the uh, upstart political publication The Ditch that's some of you may know. They've broken some big stories on the nefarious inner workings of onboard Planola, which I'm sure a lot of you have seen, and um, politicians in power just more generally. He's from Donegal, south of the Gap, and his news, feature, and culture writing has appeared in the Irish Independent, China Daily, and the Cork News. So I'm going to hand over to Owen, who's going to, I suppose, just fill us in a little bit for a little while. So thanks very much, Owen. You're very welcome. Oh, well, thanks very much for having me. Um, yeah, so I kind of, uh, myself personally, kind of came to journalism the long way around. I did law in college and then went and played music for about three years or so. Then I went back and did a master's here in DIT, actually. And from there then worked a little bit in the Irish Independent, um, mainly news and features, uh, also some video work. and. From there, then went to a weekly free sheet down in Cork, which was a uh, was great experience. A uh, very small team, uh, but as a result, kind of got to do a little bit of everything from news, arts, culture, a little bit of sport. Um, as is often the case with publications like this, it, it went bankrupt one week basically and um, uh, was out of a job. Uh, pretty much on the day we were going to print. Um, So from there then I ended up, I got a job with Web Summit and did a whole whole lot of everything with them, Um, mainly editorial stuff, uh, some video stuff. This was kind of back when Facebook Live was a big thing, so did kind of a lot of like video interviews with speakers and the like. And then from there then went and I, I worked for state media over in China um, uh, with a newspaper called China Daily, uh, which, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was an experience. I did, did a little bit of everything with them as well, um, mainly kind of lifestyle stuff, some video stuff and some editing. And then from there I came back, worked, 
got a position again with Web Summit, which was like again editorial stuff. Over, over the course of that year, we ended up working with a number of whistleblowers and would have worked on the Leo Varadkar leaked document story. And then out of that, then myself and Roman, uh, who spoke earlier, came together and uh, we founded the Ditch, which was yeah, we're going about a year and a half or so and. We've kind of, yeah, we've tried a little bit of everything, I suppose. Um, as Roman said earlier, you know, a few hits, a few misses. Uh, it's been very interesting, you know, seeing um, uh, what works and what doesn't. I have to say, yeah, I've, I've never actually freelanced myself. And while we don't accept uh, submissions from freelancers, we kind of, in a sense, we do, um, a big part of what we do is trying to get mainstream pickup of our stories, um, which in a sense makes us a little bit like freelancers in a way. So we do kind of consider things like uh, when we publish, how we publish, uh, the kind of stories we publish. We do certainly over the, f over, over the first year and a half to get kind of real traction on our stories and to get um, the kind of impacts that we're looking for and just to kind of grow the ditch, we getting that mainstream pickup has been very important, you know, so um, it's been interesting to see, I mean, what the kind of stories that we have done, yeah, we've, um, the board panelist stories and the Robert Troy stories are probably the stuff that kind of brought us um, the most kind of traction uh, over, the, uh, over the last year or so. Um, something that we found, um, myself and Roman, without wanting to speak for him, you know, we'd have similar views about, you know, how Ireland operates, how power operates, and a lot of the time we talk about, um, you know, what we consider stories, but then what the mainstream press would consider stories. Um, oftentimes, things that in the past maybe that we've considered stories like haven't necessarily got the pickup that we would have expected them to and something that um kind of an old mentor of mine um who used to work for web summit um a guy called mike harvey who used to be an editor at the times of london he he'd always talk about where's the wrongdoing and this is something that me and roman always talk about where it can be nice at times to do a story that you think you know offers a nice vignette about how Ireland works or something, but a lot of the time, people want real clear cut, um, real clear cut examples of either criminal wrongdoing or you know breaking codes of conduct and the like. That's certainly we find that's the kind of stuff that have uh, that has got us the most kind of impact really. Um, also when you can when you can tie a story to a particular to a particular public figure and say like this is the bagger this is the guy who's done this you know who's done this wrong and look, there are kind of there are kind of shortcomings and disadvantages to that approach as well where i know it, um in the first panel um uh, i think it was conal was talking about you know you want to get at a more uh systemic portrayal of wrongdoing and sometimes you kind of miss out on that a little bit with that approach but we kind of find yeah where best we can yeah we like to um try to marry those approaches and um yeah um and i guess yeah uh over the next year or so um we'll be looking to kind of do um honestly well more of the same but a little bit different i guess uh we'll be looking to um increase our own influence and increase our reach our distribution we kind of just rely on twitter at the moment to be honest uh, but while it's the least representative of all the social networks um you know 
politicians and other journalists are overrepresented on the platform. So that's where we kind of find most value. Um, yeah, that's about where we're at. Thanks so much, Owen. Um, I think what we'll probably do is at the end, we'll probably have like a group session of loads of questions. Um, but I do find it really interesting and I'm really interested to hear more about the kind of independent models and, and how, how you're all working. Uh, but for now, um, to follow is a familiar face probably to everyone here in the room. Um, it's uh, Seamus Dooley. Uh, Seamus is the Assistant General of the NUJ. He's also the Irish Secretary. Uh, he was a reporter in Tullamore Tribune and the editor of the Roscommon Champion and also worked as a sub-editor at the Irish Independent prior to his appointment as a full-time official. Uh, you're very welcome, James. Yeah, thanks. Assistant General Secretary, not Assistant General. That sounds very <laughs> realistic. Um, yeah. And uh, particularly since I, I was going to begin with a quote from Mao, which is let a thousand flowers bloom. Um, and I, that phrase struck me today when we were talking about uh, the different forms of journalism and I think that's a, a kind of a, a challenge to the question we're at, talked about is the present and future for freelancing uh, and the first question uh, that that begs is is there a future um, and I think that depends on what you mean mm-hmm. um, if you mean are you all going to is, are, is there a future for people making millions out of freelance journalism? The answer is clearly not, but then there never was. Like yeah. jo- Freelance journalism is not a ticket uh, <clears throat> to being a millionaire, but it is a rewarding profession. Uh, it, is, uh, it is possible to make a living, with difficulty, but it can be. Um, and obviously there are issues around representation and earnings and that, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But I do think that one of the things that struck me was that in terms of the function of journalism, which is calling uh, uh, power to, uh, to, to, you know, to checking balances on power, uh, to making people more accountable, uh, in the current environment, uh, there is a particular opportunity for long-form journalism uh, and for what, what uh, Connell had talked about in terms of what sometimes referred to as slow news, which is the slow, or slow journalism. The process of um, taking time uh, to fact check, to interview, to reflect. Um, and it is an unfortunate consequence, actually, of the underinvestment in journalism by mainstream media organisations uh, and by media organisations, both at national level uh, and, particularly, I would say, within the regional press sector, where market share takes a, a, a takes greater priority uh, than the editorial budget. Um, So the result of that is that there are very few media organisations which allow the freedom for someone not to get a story. There are very few people who could have the the freedom to come back to a news editor and say, um, that didn't work out. That there is a, you know, and the, the logical extension or illogical extension of that has been attempts by organisations like Reach PLC, who publish in the UK and Ireland, who have tried to promote the concept of clickbait, which is that pay, or, or pay, clicks linked to that your salaries uh, are linked to the reaction of the audience online, um, and you know that the the function of that in terms of the quality of news and in terms of editorial quality is a real problem, because. Uh, that, that has implications for editorial independence, for the values which inform the selection of stories. 
that obviously affects you know the work that might be given to freelancers. But the real issue is the impact that that has on individual newsrooms. Um, Another issue which uh, influences within the regional media sector, less so broadcasting, we'll be talking about broadcasting later than print, is actually the failure of government to deal adequately with the issue of media ownership. Mm. Uh, and you may say, well, what's that got to do with um, freelancing? Well, actually, everything has an impact because um, the regional, if you were to do a map now of, the, of Ireland, the significant uh, dominant uh, owner within uh, the Midlands, within the Midwest, and within uh, other areas of Ireland, but basically mid, mid, mid and north is, is iconic, mm-hmm. uh, where titles have been merged, where newsrooms have been slashed, mm-hmm. and where there has been a particular impact, because we, when we're talking so far today, no one has really mentioned photographers, mm-hmm. but actually the budget for freelance photography has been all but diminished, slashed. So there's an impact there. But there's also the lack of diversity. And that lack of diversity on content uh, has an impact on democracy. Um, I'll give you a slightly amusing anecdote. When I was appointed, I had worked in in Offaly, moved down to, um, across the river to to Roscommon, where the big political battle were Sean Doherty, the Fianna Fáil councillor uh, uh, and TD, uh, later to be disgraced Minister for Justice, uh, and uh, uh, there were various people chopping within the party looking for his blood and for his seat. His press secretary was actually also the reporter with the Roscommon Herald, and she covered the meetings. I turned up as the new editor, uh, sitting beside her, editor wouldn't normally cover papers, but I thought, well, that would be kind of interesting, just to, to get to know the council. And the immediate rival of this guy, Doherty, at the conference spoke, and I was taking down what he said, and she slapped me on the head, hand and said, we don't take him. Uh, so, in other words, that anyone reading the Roscommon Herald, as it was, Mary is dead now, so I don't mind uh, libeling her, uh, and it's not libeling because it's true, uh, didn't even know of the existence of Councillor Pat Dooney. Uh, or, or if they did, it would be only when he would say something that would piss people off. Um, that's merely an illustration of how, leaving investigative journalism aside, local papers can have an influence on information. Mm. In terms of freelancers, um, I think that there is work. We have had interesting illustrations today of the kind of work that freelancers can do. So there is a future, and there is a future in investigative journalism. Um, and I'm not going to talk too much about that because you've actually heard that from so many people as well. Uh, but the values and the interests which inform investigative journalism are also relevant to uh, journalism which is less edgy, uh, but which may well be useful to fund investigative journalism. Not everyone can make a living or even uh, a passable income from investigative journalism. But there, are, there is still a demand for features, uh, for sport in particular. Um, and just as I have said that newspapers are not, and, and indeed radio and television as well, are not investing in staff to the extent it should, that demand for features, that demand for sports, that demand for freelance photography is, is diminished a bit. But actually, in many cases, you know, freelancers, more and more freelancers, are, have had to become multi-skilled and are supplying both copy with both uh, photographs and audio. Yeah. Um, 
just coincidentally, and I shouldn't probably admit this today, today marks my 25th anniversary on the staff of the NUJ. I wasn't always Irish Secretary, but... Um, and when I started, not long after I started, um, there was a major controversy because we had an agreement which became known as the Zahadu uh, Independent Agreement, whereby in limited circumstances, print journalists would be able, allowed to take photographs. Now that has become the norm. Uh, but there were people who felt we were even discussing that wow. with the Independent News and Media Group at the time that I should have been sacked, uh, if not hung. Uh, now that has become, for better or worse, part and parcel of some people's job. There is still a role, in my view, uh, in fact, I think it's uh, in reinforced for full-time professional journalists, uh, reporters, full-time professional photographers, but there are circumstances where, particularly as a freelance, you have to learn all the skills. So I think that in terms of a future, uh, I think that don't think, like everyone wants to be an investigative journalist, and it is very rewarding, but there are also other areas of journalism that are still there. The challenge for us as a trade union uh, is that currently the salary is so, that, that w rates are so poor. Um, I'm not going to bore you into uh, debates about, uh, into a long thesis about the decline in rates arising from the competition authority, so I'll give you a short version of it. We used to have collective agreements, we were allowed to print guidelines, and we did that in terms of rates of pay in conjunction with the newspaper owners. Um, and then the regional newspaper group decided that this was potentially, didn't have to talk to us, that this was potentially a form of price fixing which would have an impact on the Irish economy. And therefore, in all good conscience, they couldn't pay proper rates of pay by agreement because, heaven forbid, the skies would fall in and the competition, uh, yeah. So someone, I get who made an anonymous tip off to the competition authority, who then conducted an investigation uh, into the allegation of, of price fixing, not in the first instance against the NUJ, but against uh, freelance voice actors. This sounds like a bad comedy script, <laughs> um, but the idea was that the actors who do the irritating voice for biscuits and tea and uh, concerts and stuff on RTE1 got minimum rates of pay and that this was a form of price fixing by equity at the time. That ended up the steps of the High Court um, and the union official whose name was on that was threatened with jail so SIPTU settled that. We then had our agreements uh, torn up uh, and the competition authority spent a great deal of time on that. Simultaneously, the Irish banks were screwing the public in breach of all competition law, and no one passed any remarks on that because they were too busy worrying about the photographer in Tullamore who was getting a rate of fibre per picture. Um, so it took us many, many years to get that case. We eventually got the, amended, the law amended in Ireland, but by the time we won that right to collective agreements, uh, the Irish economy had crashed and the newspapers uh, were legitimately, in that case, playing, calling, uh, power, uh, uh, were calling pleading poverty. Yeah. Interestingly, only this week the European Commission has decided that the NUJ and the European Federation of Journalists were correct. We, we got the Irish law amended and it's amended in a way which only allows journalists, session musicians and actors to be represented collectively. Everyone else is still screwed. Under the new committee, the European Commission has actually now, uh, only this week, announced that we were right 
because a number of other countries sought to follow the example of the Irish Competition Authority. This is a bizarre story, but, but the impact of that w has been very serious for us as a union and for individual uh, journalists. The good news is that within the last month we have concluded negotiations on pay within the Irish Times. I am aware that they have absolutely slashed editorial budgets, particularly for contributors, so we are now having got the, the the negotiated pay increase for staff, we are now lodging a claim for on behalf of freelancers. We are similarly lodging the same claims for RTE. Up to now, they have not been able to, we, we, they have got away with saying we, we would like to talk to you, but we can't. Mm. Uh, I'm not making any promises on that, but I do think that if media organisations are to rely on freelancers, we as a union uh, need to do more to insist that they're paid correctly. It is difficult for organisations like, and I know that the ditch doesn't actually look for freelance submissions, but it is difficult for other organisations uh, to ensure that they are paid. Mm. But I, my advice uh, to any freelance, and many of you are students starting out here, is do not work for nothing. Don't ever work for an editor who tells you, and they will, that the publicity will do, do you good. That the byline will be good for your career. Try telling that to the plumber. Tell him that you're a very famous person and that you'll tell everyone he fixed your drain pipe and, and he, it'll be good. Try that. Or try to the electrician. It doesn't work. And if you take pay, if you work for nothing in the belief that you know, somehow that will do your career good and that bylines, it's a load of nonsense. It's one of the great myths. All it does is signals that you're a cheap, you're cheap, and they will give you some work, and why wouldn't they? You're getting it for nothing. Or when they decide to pay you, they're paying you at a very low base. The reason they're paying you at a low base is you have already established that you don't actually value yourself much anyway. So that, that's one of the tips that I, that I would say. In terms of, and I don't want to go on too long, in terms of um, the NUJ and what we can do, if you're not a member of the NUJ, you should be. Uh, and membership is available on uh, nuj.org.uk. You can join online, and there is a student membership. Um, there are a number of reasons why we would encourage you to join. Obviously, one is the notion of solidarity, the notion of, the, of contact and of keeping in touch with people. In that regard, there are two dates that Jared will be sending, giving you. One is that we have a student conference on the 17th of November in Dublin. Uh, and that's an evening event uh, and it's a social event and an opportunity at an event chaired by Brian Dobson of RTE to meet a number of journalists to talk about their careers. Uh, on Saturday, October the 22nd, uh, there is actually a conference in the Gresham Hotel in Dublin which will talk about, we're calling it journalism, not just business, uh, and the E in business is a euro. And that, de that develop some of the themes we've talked today about the function of journalism. Uh, so there are two things that, uh, in terms of networking. We can represent you if there are breaches of copyright, which is, in terms of the future, the present and future, one of the big problems that freelancers have at the moment is, and there's nothing new in this, there are people like Kieran Fagan and Jared who know what I'm on with this, mainstream media in particular have tended to be very cavalier in not uh, crediting work or in not paying for work. Um, I would say I was impressed by the, the correct 
uh, crediting of the work by the ditch by most media organisations, and that's as it should be. Um, but I have a reason, Ken Fox recently posted an example on Twitter, some of you may have seen it, where his entire body of work, mm. didn't even attempt to hide it, was, was repackaged, uh, or represented, really not repackaged, uh, by iconic media, mm. without even attempting to credit it or pay. We can give you advice on that, the first advice is sue them. Uh, is actually say, demand payment, send them an invoice, and if you don't respond, we will respond on your behalf. Uh, freelance journalism is extraordinarily difficult, uh, and it is not too much to expect that large media organisations who decide to credit, to use your work, that they should insist on being paid. There was an incident some years ago in the now defunct Sunday Tribune where uh, they decided to use a picture by on their front page, I'm sorry, it was the star actually using of uh, by taken by uh, the well-known photographer Jer Derek Spears, um, and we took that case to the, the district court. The defence of the uh, the company was well, it was a Sunday night, it had appeared in the Tribune, it was of the monk, and we didn't have the photographer's phone number, and the judge was a late. Labour Party leader Michael O'Leary said, that's very interesting, I checked the phone book before I came in, there's only one Mr Spears in the book, <laughs> and it's Mr Derek Spears, and uh, he, he would have known him from his previous job, and we won the case and Derek Spears was handsomely awarded it. We have taken cases, but in most cases in relation to breach of copyright, you will, you will actually, you know, when you establish it, they will pay, but they're not going to volunteer. Um, that's pretty much it's a bit of a, a rant through a whole lot of different Perfect. bits and pieces. Uh, happy to take any questions. Uh, what I would say to you is sometimes people worry, well, is union membership worth it? Is it very expensive? The rates are on the salary, uh, are on the website. Also, even if you're not a member, and I'm not supposed to say this, but if you run into difficulty, uh, don't be afraid to pick up the phone. I will not represent you if you're not a member. That doesn't stop me giving you advice. Uh, union membership is necessary for a number of reasons. I can appeal to solidarity. I can say it is a great idea and that it's all part of a wider revolution. Uh, but I can tell you it's like an insurance policy. The only other point I want to make very briefly is that many of you may find yourself being engaged as freelancers, but you're really actually workers. Mm. You're really employees. Um, and I mean that by that you work for an organization for a very long time. They won't give you a contract of employment, but you can't work for anyone else. You're working either on the premises or exclusively for them. You're working under the control and direction of the Roscommon champion. Uh, you have to report to Seamus Dooley, he tells you what to do, but yet you have to pay your own tax. The whistle has been blown a bit on that, to use a word that's been used a good few times, by what we have done in RTE. Mm. Uh, and 83 people, through the intervention of the NUJ and SIP2, have secured contracts of employment. They're called contracts of service. Um, it is an outrage that the um, state broadcaster should be guilty of bogus self-employment. If you call everyone else to account, you should be a bit like Lot's wife in the, gospel, in the Bible, you should be above reproach, but they're not. Um, and they, you know, that would have made a really interesting primetime investigate story, um, and I did suggest it. Uh, it, is now, it is now being addressed, but that you will frequently, so 
I'm not saying there aren't circumstances where it's appropriate to have a freelance contract. But if you're working for a very long period of time, if they're not letting you work anywhere else, if there are various impositions and you think that you might be entitled to a contract of what's called a contract of indefinite duration, uh, it is worth looking at. Uh, because it can mean that you are entitled to holidays, to sick pay, to pension. This is a particular, there's a gender issue here as well. This particularly affects women and it has a particular impact in terms of maternity leave and also the wider issue of carers leave. So it is an issue that's relevant, it's relevant to the future. I think that over time, uh, now that Scope have got their teeth into uh, RTE, other companies will, will, follow, will, will, will follow suit. My final comment is in relation to the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, and it goes back to the question that was raised earlier about why would, uh, why, why do companies not just, government agencies and state agencies, not cooperate with journalists? The answer to that is because they don't want to. Um, the NUJ was directly involved in the campaign for the Horse Freedom of Information Act. And we drafted a number of amendments to the original act. And you'll be interested to know that one of the original proposals was that all planning matters, the department and Board Planola would be exclusively, would have been excluded from Board Planola, from the scope of the, of the FOI. There are still limitations to it. The minister accepted, Etna Fitzgerald of the day, expected, accepted a number of amendments. Um, afterwards, we got them tabled from Sophie Fall. At the end of the, the thing, Etna Fitzgerald hosted the reception, first time a minister ever hosted the reception to celebrate a bill. And she very pointedly, and I think for journalists, this is a really telling story about the official attitude to freedom of information. She welcomed all the departments who were represented, and then she suggested she would have a toast to absent friends in the Department of Justice. <laughs> and that tells you all you need to know about uh, uh, public administration in Ireland. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Seamus, and indeed, Owen. I think, like, it's been so helpful to hear you both sort of fill in these gaps about the ever-evolving and just changing um, media landscape, not just for freelancers, but just but just generally. Um, I got a bit of whiplash when you mentioned uh, Reach um, from my old, now, years ago experience in, in, in Joe.ie, which was which was not dissimilar mm. from, from this kind of write a story every hour, no sub-editing and, and, and all that. So I just wanted to congratulate anyway the NUJ on on that um, win that they had. But anyway, um, I'm, I have a few questions and I will open up to the floor. Um, we think we have an extra bit of time because there's only, you know, there's only yeah. two speakers, but I just kind of wanted to start with, with you, Owen. Um, so yourself and, and Roman, uh, who spoke earlier, are obviously co-founders of, of, of The Ditch, which we already we spoke about. Um, and obviously you know, I guess, the struggle of sort of going out now on your own and, and, and what goes along with that in terms of like setting up um, a publication, which I think is relevant, like you were saying, to, to freelancers, you know. Um, and I was wondering what advice you might give, um, coloured by your experience with The Ditch, for starting out in the industry, in terms of specifically finding that niche and, and finding that audience. Yeah, I mean, we, I suppose, um, when we started off, um, and yeah, look, we were starting off with, um, well, it was just us and a Twitter account, really, um, and a website. And the story we launched with, and we've kind of talked about this uh, since, is that uh, it was 
um, it was was it March or April of last year, and um, we did a story about um, Michal Martin attending a prohibited indoor event in uh, County Cork during one of the lockdowns, and we kind of we kind of yeah, and it, it's I guess it's we've kind of stuck to this kind of similarish kind of strategy mm -hmm. since like in that um, we kind of knew that to kind of launch like that I think that we kind of had a, a couple of choices where we could have kind of put together like um, a big kind of like publishing schedule and you know get up a bank of stories all the rest but what we what we decided to go with was to go with as big a story as we possibly could and um, and yeah and we were lucky in that we had this story about the Taoiseach going to a prohibited event during one of the lockdowns you know um, honestly then from there like we kind of we did like small things around the launch where like we put up a teaser the night before um, got a little got a little bit of traction on Twitter um, and then we got some mainstream pickup the next day um, honestly from there then um, we um, what we've kind of found was that it was it was mainly just a thing of actually going and getting started you know um, it, sometimes not necessarily knowing exactly what we're going to be doing next week or the following week but just kind of taking that kind of first jump and going you know like fuck it let, you know like let's see what happens more than anything you know um, as far as finding a niche um, yeah something that Roman kind of touched on um, look like I personally I do think that yeah that housing is uh, you know the most significant and most enduring kind of issue for um, not just people of our generation but I think for most people in Ireland um, we do have this kind of uh, an informal thing where look if we if we have a chance to do a story about housing we'll always go for it you know yeah. um, we also yeah then as 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 far as our niche goes um, we what we publish is um, yeah I would certainly say is colored by our own politics uh, um, we're we're both very much on the left uh, we both have particular ideas about you know how power works in mm. Ireland um, and yeah that would certainly uh, influence the kind of stories that uh, we do publish I am interested in that because it seems to kind of it seems almost like a more not Irish style I suppose in a way obviously you have village and and stuff like that but it seems to be more in this from what I can tell anyway from the states and, and England where you would have publications that are maybe more proudly out about their political affiliations um, and you know I think um, well what what what, what I suppose both you could come in on that but like what do you think in terms of is this like a new trend coming to Ireland is is this idea of objectivity is it is it worth anything is it like this view from nowhere or you know is everybody coming from somewhere and should 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 we as journalists sort of be more upfront I suppose about about our political uh, preferences yeah I mean personally I think it would be it would be helpful if journalists you know were generally more upfront and I I I have no problem saying what my own politics are. Um, there are certainly yeah, in um, in in Britain you have you know like places like Navarra and Tribune, which would um, probably be even more explicit than we mm. would be about our politics. Um, yeah. In the U.S., you'd have I guess you know guys like Chapel Trap House, which were effectively like boosters for Bernie Sanders, but we're we're very kind of open about that. I think that um, there. I think that um, yeah, like 
as far as issues about objectivity goes, um, we still, you know, in as much as you can define a fact, we still report facts. Um, our politics influence the, f the facts that we choose to report or, or kind of stories. focus on or the stories, you know. Um, and yeah, I think that like, um, I'm not sure, yeah, whether it's, um, I know, yeah, certainly in the, the, the kind of like, uh, I would you call it like the kind of like mid-period of like Joe.ie that they were quite open about, um, uh, you know, their kind of progressivism, I suppose. Yeah, um, maybe there will be, yeah, like maybe there will be more of it in Ireland, um, yeah, in the years to come. Yeah, also hugely hip hypocritical. Joe is an anti-union company. They've refused mm -hmm. to negotiate with unions. Yeah. And in that, they have a lot in common with Reach. So people are selectively progressive. Yeah. Uh, Reach uh, publishes The Mirror. And... Uh, uh, we're sponsoring special uh, uh, events for conference, and the mirror is viewed as being uh, a friend of the Labour Party. We carried stories during the recent strike about Reach, where we had workers collecting food in the food bank on their way to the newsroom. Young women workers who couldn't afford to feed their children. Mm. That's why we went on strike. Um, so even where papers declare a political stand mm. so they also have you know they also published the express where uh which had the wonderful heading in uh, in liz we trust frame mm. that one um so actually the ditch is more open and honest and consistent uh they're in a tradition as well they're in a tradition i yeah. think of mcgill magazine i think would be a good comparison yeah. which was yeah. open and hibernia uh, and i think it is important that uh, there are uh, websites that there are news platforms which declare their a particular agenda, uh, and I think you know that that is important. I also think it's it's equally relevant that consumers have a choice, mm. and that there is uh, that there is news which is presented as news. And the important issue is merely that you to distinguish between fact and opinion. Yeah. Uh, and if there is a conflict of interest, that they should be declared. Uh, and I think that's the issue. I, I, I wouldn't want a media where every story and everything comes from the angle of the expression of an opinion of the journalist. Yeah. But if there, is a, if there is an opinion or if there is a bias or a conflict of interest, that should be declared. I am... Um I had, uh, I had a specific question for you, James, probably sick of talking about, well, maybe not because it's your job, <laughs> but there was a widespread, I suppose, like we heard, what was it here, here in the, in the, in the doll over the, uh, the VAT reduction um, in terms of newspapers. And I wondered if you had any thoughts um, about how that might impact uh, freelancers. Will, will, do you think we'll see, see any sort of like, um, will, free, will freelancers see any sort of like push from that, do you think, in terms of more work or uh, I'm, I'm extraordinarily cynical about the VAT thing. Uh, the last time the newspaper publishers got a reduction in VAT, they increased the price of papers. Yeah. Uh, and, we, and none of us saw the benefit of it. And that coincided with the time where they were crying over having to pay Richard May and Tullamore a fiver for a picture. <laughs> so I, you will notice there was not an NUJ statement on welcoming the VAT other than a tweet from me saying that I look forward to the investment of it in, mm. uh, in editorial resources. Uh, I understand the he, here, here bit of it. I think that 
as a package of a suite of measures uh, that removing VAT is not going to make a huge impact. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I have some sympathy for it, but I'm cynical about the impact in terms of journalism because I have seen over the last year or two uh, the, uh, you know, a significant number of uh, changes, particularly in the regional sector, which was the regional press that led the campaign. Mm. That having been said, I don't be completely negative because actually, with the with the longed for desire, demise of Dennis O'Brien, media house have actually invested more in journalism. Yeah. There are more jobs being created in in media house. Uh, that having been said, you look at then what's happening in. Uh, you know, say for instance, Fingal and the regional papers. But yeah. well, that's a function, I think, of changing patterns. But there is some news in that. On the commission, and I think that uh, in the next session, uh, Liam from the BI will probably be touching on this. But on the commission report, there is a provision there for the establishment of a media fund, which I would welcome. I mean, one of the things that's very clear to me is that uh, we're n we just can't rely on media organisations uh, hiring. Uh, uh, you know, just, just commissioning work, yeah. and I'd never, I wouldn't, just in passing, to say I'd really advise against going to a media thing saying I'm thinking of doing a story, and um, will you publish it? Don't give away your ideas. Do all of the work, and then <laughs> then present your story. Uh, but I'm concerned about the media fund because what Catherine Martin has done is they have announced in the budget uh, a fund for local democracy reporters. It's not clear who can apply for that. Yeah. We haven't been consulted. I don't think anyone else has. Uh, and they've also <coughs> not said how the media fund is going to be administered. I absolutely have no fear of state funding of journalism, provided that there is a hands-off approach to it. It shouldn't be yeah. de dealt with like the local, like a lot, the lotto where you have local TDs and senators announcing it. Uh, it is possible. And some people kind of get very precious about the, the notion that the state shouldn't be involved in funding. Yeah. The reality is the state is already involved in funding. The state is involved through public service broadcasting, through the Simon Cumbers Fund, which yeah. is a state yeah. function. And no one could say that any of the work in the state of the Simon Cumbers Fund has ever been Im impacted. What is important is that there is a, a, a clear, open and transparent mechanism of adjudication and criteria and that it is at removed from government. That can be done and there are various European models mm -hmm. in that. What has happened is that the Minister, uh, presumably through Catherine Martin's office, has announced the, the allocation of the money without saying how it's going to be distributed. That concerns me. Equally, Foreign Affairs set up a funding. Uh, for journalists with no public criteria or public consultation. I would have a concern about that. Yeah. Uh, and I'm already getting people ringing me up saying, how, where do I get my money? How do I apply for the democracy reporters? On, um, on, the topic, sorry, on the topic of funding, I did want to ask, you know, Owen, so like obviously we know that, you know, media in Ireland is having widespread issues with cash flow, uh, majorly to do, I suppose, with advertisement going to, to media platforms. And I'm fascinated, and I suppose myself coming from the Dublin Enquirer, you know, I'm fascinated with like independent uh, publications and sort of understanding their, their media models. And I was I was hoping you might speak in relation to that uh, with the ditch in terms of I see that you're, you take you take funds, you take fundings and all that. Like, how does how does it work? Yeah, so uh, we take donations um, there's options to donate and um, to make monthly donations from um, for up to. 50 euros so um, a month um, so we have um, 
quite a few people donating in that way. We also have, you know, which uh, has been a kind of a, something of an avid in the room for a while. I mean, like Web Summit would be a funder of us as well. Yeah. Um, and they've been a great support. And yeah, we kind of, um, myself and Roman, yeah, I would acknowledge, yeah, we're, we're in a kind of a privileged uh, position in that at the moment we're, we're focusing mainly on just increasing um, our, our kind of, um, our, our like reach or mm -hmm. influence, like rather than focusing on um, the economics of the side. Yeah. I know that that's, look, it's, it's not necessarily viable for a lot of people. Um, it is, um, though, it, yeah, like it is something that, you know, it, we've talked about. I don't think we'll ever, I, I know that paywalls are kind of the, uh, very much the kind of like flavor of the month as far as media goes. Um, whether or not it's, you know, like that will kind of continue into the future, um, I'm, I'm not sure. We don't really have any plans for a paywall as such, um, but more, um, yeah, for now, yeah, we're focusing on that model kind of similar to the, um, um, to the Guardian, say, yeah. like where, yeah, like, uh, yeah, like voluntary donations. Are you getting a lot of donations? Yeah, we get um, we like like as far as uh, patrons go, we'd have um, uh, haven't uh, it would be um, we'd have two or three hundred, I think, like something like Brilliant. that. Um, yeah, as as far as yeah, like monthly patrons would go. That's fab. Yeah. In such a short space of time as well, yeah. it's really good. Yeah. Um, I have one more question, and then I'll probably open it up to the to the floor. Um, just um, Seamus, just on the I was reading a report there recently and it was looking at the safety of journalists in four different EU countries, Ireland was one, um, and it was saying that um, a particular problem that we have for journalists uh, here is um, that of, which affects local reporters, I think women and freelancers the most, is that of uh, both online and in-person harassment. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking from like the lens of a freelancer, you know, who doesn't have that institutional support, like what does the NUJ, is there something there or what is your own your own view on that i mean we've seen like i suppose Eva grace moore and the likes be you know tormented on online the la last year um by these sort of like pseudo and not well we, you know uh, these twitter accounts mm -hmm. um is there do you have anything like are you well, seeing this well, well yeah i i mean the 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 um I would have been one of the contributors to that survey. Uh, one of the, as to the union, uh, one of the, when we have actually had meetings with, uh, initiated by Media House, by John Williams and RT and myself, we've had a meeting with the Assistant Garda Commissioner to discuss this issue. And there are, there is, there is, there's a meeting due soon where we're actually establishing a national committee, uh, which will be representative of media organisations, which will meet probably quarterly, which establishes in particular a kind of a direct reporting line which will be open to staff and freelancers and to all media organisations. Yeah. Uh, because one of the problems what happens here is that someone abuses you on Twitter and there is a misogyny involved in this. It's, it's, you get the impression of kind of lager louts late at night in their dirty beer stained jocks <laughs> uh, abusing women online. It's, it's, it's horrendous. Uh, and some of them are politically motivated, some of them are just gobshites, uh, but the impact is the same. Yeah. The impact is the same. And women in particular, and it is a problem north and south, 
there's a particularly vicious element to it in Northern Ireland, which has resulted in threats in the case of Patricia Devlin, who has spoken mm-hmm. open and publicly about a threat to rape her baby son. Uh, you know, uh, failure of police in Northern Ireland to investigate property threats. We've addressed that in the North, and we established in Northern Ireland a system whereby there is a direct line. That now is going to be matched in the South. What happens at the moment is you're living in some place like we'd say Tullamore and you work in a regional paper and you get a threat. You walk into the local Garda station. The Garda there may never have dealt with cyber crime. They don't know how to deal with it. So what we're doing is putting in place an escalation system whereby there will be uh, an identified line so that if you are a journalist and you, are, you receive a threat, that that will be dealt with more promptly. That's not to say that threats against journalists are any more special, that journalists are mm. more special than anyone else. But the implication of a threat against a journalist is that it is, it's designed to inhibit their work as a journalist, and there is a public interest in that. Um, if that approach doesn't work, then it will be dealt with directly by the Assistant Garda Commissioner. And I was very impressed by her when I met her, and she was very aware of the level of these threats, the danger and the implications. It's not just social media. Uh, there is one journalist, I, I, I don't want to breach too much confidential here, but there is one journalist whose name was actually featured on posters throughout the town as part of a group of people who were identified wrongly, as it happened, as being Jews and therefore legitimate targets. Um, and the journalist concerned with her partner decided the way to deal with that was get on her bike and go around taking down the bloody posters. Now, I went very ballistic when I heard that because what she needed to do is go to her employer and to her union and to the Gardaí and we did and we addressed it. Uh, so we would give any, the first thing I would say is that any journalist who needs help if you are a receiver of a, a threat do contact the NUJ. We do have advice, we, there's advice online, Ian McGuinness, my colleague and myself will deal with you. If you're, if you're an employee obviously you go to the employer. But it's not just if you're an employee, because if, if it arises as a result of a, an article you have written for the Irish Times or the Indo, they still need to know about that. The one piece of advice that I always give journalists is that it's okay to have an untweeted thought. Yeah. Because frequently what happens is you, you're a journalist, you have maybe a couple of thousand followers, and some fool in belly go backwards, tweets abuse, and you decide you're going to take them on and you're going to, re- first of all, you're going to retweet, which amplifies the audience beyond his wildest dreams. You're giving him or her a level of attention that they don't deserve or respect, and you are magnifying the abuse. You're also inviting people to join in the, the, the piling. So one of them, I know it goes against the instinct of every journalist, but the, the, the first thing you actually should do is ask yourself, do I actually need to bother this? Mm. Do I actually need to, to, um, to answer this? The other issue for us is that there are circumstances where journalists will be better off not staying on being on social media, for <coughs> taking a break or not getting involved. I mean, and again, this in investigative journalism frequently, and I think that was quite why Conan's comments were quite interesting, where he talked about greater collaboration. Journalists are obsessed with their byline and they want their name out there. There are some stories where actually not having a byline would be better. And actually to bring even yeah. Owen in the ditch, do that. Yeah, don't they you? do, yeah. And, and I actually, I know that, you know, 
uh, the people who pay my wages have fragile egos. But the reality is that frequently it's an invitation for abuse. Mm. It shouldn't be, and we can say that's absolutely awful. Well, on security stories in particular, we dealt with this in Northern Ireland after the murder of of, uh, Martin O'Hagan, which is 21 years ago this week. We actually had to say to journalists, you know what, one of the ways of dealing with this is actually not to buy down stories. And that went, went down really badly, and it went down badly because people said it's interfering with my career, I need to be, have my name there, I need for people to come through. And also, and maybe it's a legitimate argument, that, well, actually, these people shouldn't be allowed to silence me. But I think one of the things you have to make, and it's a judgment call that you make individually and in certain circumstances, is that journalism is only a job. And there are circumstances where you have to look after yourself and your family as well. And, and that, but that is, but that's saying a little bit beyond the question, but I, uh, on the issue of safety, it, 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 is, it is a big issue. Yeah. Now, politicians in particular um, tend to sort of be a bit snippy about this stuff and they think, oh, journalists, and they're, they're, you know, they dismiss journalists as snowflakes or whatever, or that they're being a bit precious. But the level, the kind of threats we're talking about are not... You know, this is not just sort of slapstick abuse. This is really vile, vicious stuff. And it is being matched by, you know, we know where you live, and then proving evidence of where they knew where they lived, in the case of two people that I'm thinking of. Uh, in the case of Patricia Devlin, the difficulty was that everyone knew who they were talking about. And, of course, the same case exists in Derry now in relation to the awful situation regarding the McKee murder, where our killing, where that's... There are people before the courts, but this, the tinderbox there around anyone who, who speaks against Sarah, any of the, the, the thing, they are immediately piled on. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's happening not just in social media, but physically in social settings as well. And even you will see during the week there was uh, an application for the guy who was charged with the murder to be, uh, to, to have a, to be let out, uh, extended uh, the hours he, he, he he had, there's a curfew, yeah. and he wanted the curfew extended uh, to attend his sister's birthday party. The bit in that story that didn't get much traction was that the birthday party was being held pretty much in the site of where she was killed, or near enough. Wow. Um, and do you, I don't know, before you go, do you have anything that you would like to say on that? Because I do notice that the dish don't. I mean, it's all, it, you have an About You page, and it, it says who you are. But I do notice that, is, is there a reason why there's, the names aren't either yours or, or Roman's names? Yeah, uh, we've, got, um, we've got a couple that we have bylined with their names. Um, we, we started off, like when we launched, uh, like uh, we decided when we launched that the best thing for the publication then was for us to use pen names, uh, mm-hmm. which we did use for uh, the best part of a year yeah. or so. Um, and then it was kind of in the middle, well, at, at the kind of onset of the board planless stories, then we decided that the best thing for the publication then was for us, yeah, that's when we added the, um, uh, well, we added our bylines to a couple of those pieces. And then, and yeah, we've switched to like the ditch editors uh, for most of our bylines now, which, um, but we've also added um, the About Us page as well, like yeah. um, just kind of, um, we've kind of found, yeah, as time kind of has gone on, just kind of, kind of like a, a gradual kind of introduction of us, I yeah. suppose, more than than has been the best thing for us. Good for transparency yeah. to know as well. Who's, yeah. um, I, I, I do have some more questions, but I am going to throw it out to the floor. Um, we have, I think, about 
like 10-15 minutes if anyone has any questions um, they want to ask they're more than oh yeah yeah go on uh, just what would be some of the kind of factors that came into play with deciding to set up your own publication rather than say work freelance such like um, what made you decide to like set up your own publication rather than continue like say just work freelance for different mm. publications yeah. Does that make sense? um yeah i mean like Honestly, um, I'm, I've got to say um, I'm, I'm quite a disorganized person. I'm not <laughs> sure whether I'd be cut out for work as a freelancer. Um, that, that certainly was part of it, honestly. Um, but it was also just, it was mainly through, through conversations with Roman, um, the kind of opportunity to build our own publication, to kind of, to, for us to kind of set our own rules and um, for us to kind of put in place the kind of, editorial processes and the like that we wanted to like was just kind of very attractive for us um where look we don't always you know hit these heights but like uh we do kind of aspire at least to kind of uh to publish stories that we feel maybe wouldn't be published elsewhere um and that's certainly yeah like what we try to do we'd like to do that a bit better um so yeah having our own publication was kind of important for that i guess Good. Did you have a question? Uh, yeah, um, the, new, uh, the, uh, the campaign by news brands, which you did mention about the zero bait VAT, that got quite a fair bit of attention. But I'm just wondering, though, in terms of a particular ask or a particular thing that the NUJ or even you in a personal capacity would want from the government, uh, what would you say that specific thing would be in light of everything? That yeah, I, I suppose the, the news brand campaign reminded me of a, a phrase that Martin Fitzpatrick, who's the chair of Dublin branch, former Sunday Independent Journalist, uses regularly, which you say there's nothing more eloquent than a vested interest disguised as a point of principle. Um, <laughs> and um, it was very eloquent. Um, but um, I think what we would want, uh, you can't, I don't think there's a, I, I don't think that there is, a, you can't take away the bat and say that you save the money. Uh, let, I don't think you can legislate for the fact that you can get, um, that you can have to ring prints that. I don't think there's a legal mechanism for doing that. I think where it comes in is that in the establishment of the, the media fund, that we would require a few things. One, there should be a, there should be an independent, and I can send you an email on this, um, uh, there should be an independent and transparent uh, method of uh, applying for the money. It should be open to individuals and to companies as well as to, and not just brand organisations. And on the Democracy Reporter Scheme, just to, to explain where, where that is, that's a scheme to promote the coverage of courts, uh, politics, uh, it could be the European Parliament, it could be the Iraqis, areas which are deemed to be public interest journalism. Uh, my concern around that is that uh, what could happen, and this is, there was an attempt to happen this, and it was in, it's linked to the BBC in Britain, uh, is that you have media organisations which have made people redundant. Uh, or which have closed regional offices. So, for instance, in Tipperary, there's effectively uh, Tipperary, Offaly, uh, Leash, Kildare. There's a merging of all of those titles, particularly those websites, under the iconic <coughs> brand. It will be absolutely ridiculous, and there'll be no economic benefit uh, if people are made redundant or have been made redundant, and those jobs are replaced by 
democracy reporters helped provide the state. Mm. So I would be saying that uh, any organisation which applies for funding uh, should not have made people redundant and should meet minimum standards in terms of wages, in terms of compliance, uh, in terms of ownership structure. Uh, and there's already a framework for that, and I'm getting a bit technical here, where a um, company applies under the Competition Act, if you are applying to buy a newspaper, a new paper, you have to meet a number of criteria before you get to the uh, before that's approved. I'd have to say that has been honoured in the breach because no very few governments have had the balls to take on the a newspaper. Uh, I think it was Napoleon who said you never argue with someone who, uh, who, who, who buys ink by the barrel. Uh, well, it's something similar with media attitude to media organisations here, particularly when Dennis O'Brien was, was a, 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 at play. But, but I think there have to be some criteria. That just can't be lolly. The other point I'd make is a general one is that what we have failed to convince Catherine Martin is that journalism is a public good. There is no reason why if clowns and dancers and actors can get funding from, and Creative Ireland can get funding, and all of that is well deserved, that there should not be a mechanism whereby media organisations and public interest journalism can be funded in the same way. Uh, and during COVID, we, you know, we tried to get some uh, traction on that. We failed to do so. Uh, and I think that while you know, the NUJ was in favour of transferring the uh, powers away from enterprise in, into communications, the, 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 that government, they haven't given proper focus to media. But I'd say drop you an email on yeah, it. Please do. Yeah, Thank thanks. you very much. Do we have any, any more questions? Uh, I would say that we got tea and sympathy, uh, except it was virtually, and uh, but there wasn't any. There, there, there wasn't any, and I can understand it. It's harder to. Um, it's it's harder. There isn't a mecha There wasn't a mechanism. It was a, a funding to put in funding at very short notice uh, to deal with the pandemic thing. Uh, but journalists were like freelance journalists were not able to, by and large, some did, but were not able to to get the pandemic payment. Uh, and, and that was a real hardship for an awful lot of people. Uh, and we did, we, you know, it was completely unsatisfactory. But I think that we, we do now have, with the media fund being set up, um, we do now have an opportunity to try to revisit that. Uh, as I say, I'm not 100% clear. Now that you weren't here, I don't think you were here at the beginning where we mentioned the fact that they announced in the budget that there is the funding allocation, but there's the funding mechanism and the panel is not yet set up. What the Commission report recommended was that there would be a mechanism agreed, and I know the Commission thought that this was going to happen first. Now that's fine, the money is there, but once the money is allocated, everyone is wondering how they're going to get their hands on it, including me. So. <laughs> um, if no one else has any no questions, okay, grand. Uh, right, well I don't, I mean, I think we, in a very broad stroke sort of, talked about the present and, <laughs> and futures of freelance and I, I suppose like a bit about the safeguarding of your intellectual proper property if you see you know if you're not getting credited um always go to the NUJ I suppose uh, we learned and then also uh from own just sort of the the ins and outs of setting up and the importance of independent publications and maybe following your your own you know political uh following that thread a little bit more um 
So on that note, yeah, I just want to thanks, uh, thank Seamus and, and Owen very much for their insights and their thoughts. And just to remind you again, two dates, uh, October the 22nd and 17th of November. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Cheers. This has been a Freelance Forum podcast. The forum is brought to you by the Dublin Freelance Branch of the National Union of Journalists and made possible by network funding from the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland Sectoral Learning and Development Programme. Music from podsummit.com is released under a Creative Commons Zero license into the public domain. You can download the Freelance Forum podcasts from Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast and all good podcatcher apps or listen on SoundCloud. I'm Jared Cunningham. Thanks for listening. Take care and stay safe.